We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. We're in this bizarre situation. Everybody's here without their family for the most part, but we have a group of about five or six kids that are here. I would tell you this, the children are keeping us sane. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm your host, John Little. Yes, thank you so much for being here for another week. Now, it is uh, always so helpful if you subscribe to the podcast. Not only does it help us out and, you know, gain more listenership, all those things. At the same time, you'll know exactly when we have put out our next podcast. So please subscribe on the platform of your choice. And if you've got time, just rate and review the podcast real quick. We've had a lot of fun talking to lots of different personalities from the Wubble so far. A lot of coaches to this point. And I think that things are really starting to ramp up in Bradenton when it comes to the tension. There's a certain banding together that we saw right off the bat. But it's wearing on some people for, uh, you know, however many weeks they've been there now. There's an end in sight, but it's not quite here yet. And I think we've seen some of this brewing with the Marianne Stanley versus the Seattle Storm slash Sue Bird issue this past week. And some other things like the Diana Taurasi technical and her calling out the ref the other day. I mean, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, they're not huge scandals, won't be stories we'll talk about for years and years to come. But at the same time, you know, you can tell that the pressure is mounting a little bit on some of these teams. They know they're in the stretch run. That's why it's going to be so fun over these last three weeks to see how things play out. And this week, we get a chance to talk to Holly Rowe, the outstanding sideline reporter, feature reporter for ESPN. She has been in the Wubble 
the whole time embedded. And our experience seeing into the WNBA bubble would not be the same without Holly telling it. So we talked to Holly this week about the decision to go into the bubble, to be embedded there, about some of the best things she's seen so far, some of the huge challenges of having to do the same thing over and over again, day after day, Uh, kind of what's been the reward of being a part of this and what's been the sacrifice as well. And just to be honest, we cover a lot of stuff within this 30 minutes. So you're going to want to stick around throughout some wonderful insight into what's happening in Bradenton with our guest on the Her Hoop Stats podcast, ESPN's Holly Rowe. You're about halfway through the season now, the regular season, in this bubble situation. Tell us about your day-to-day inside the IMG bubble and, and what it's like for you. Okay, so I think the best analogy is Groundhog Day because everyone's kind of laughing about that. Is It's a lovely hotel that we're in. Um, there's a nice pool. There's nice grounds. There's a nice lobby and bar area. But you do the same thing every day. You get up, you go down, you get your test for COVID-19. It's kind of funny because the new water cooler of of the 2020 is the COVID testing line. So you chat with everybody who's in line, kind of catch up with people as you're waiting for your chest. Of course, you're socially distanced, six feet apart, and everybody's in masks. And it's really funny because the masks are like, you don't go anywhere without your mask. And it's just become this, this huge thing that um, I remember we were we were playing some cards in the lobby one day and, I, you know, one of the players left to go to the restroom and everyone was like, take your mask and shaming them if if they didn't take their mask as they walked down the hallway to, to use the restroom. So I think that's part of, uh, you know, just being safe and everybody being very cautious. And then you go to games. And that the beauty of this is there's so many games, but I know it's it's difficult for the players because they are playing every other day for a stretch of almost 20 days. So um, I think the Seattle Storm have been every other day. They've had one day off until the 23rd of August. So that's been challenging. So, so that's what your day is. You know, you test, you eat, you visit people in the lobby for a bit, and then you go to games and do your job. So it's it's that, and then you get up and do the exact same thing the next day. <laughs> well, you're right there. It's tough to separate from your job as well but then at the same time i mean you're just embedded in it so finding stories not that you don't know everything about these players coming into it just with your familiarity with their careers and all those sort of things but but finding stories no shortage of uh great narratives to tell uh, just based on your day-to-day interactions with people yeah it's been really fun that way because i mean i feel like we know these kids uh, superficially because we know their stats from college or we know, you know, some of the treetop stories, but it's been fun to dig in and get to know people a little bit better and, and get to have deeper understanding of who they are as people and what makes them special. And so I, I just put together a little document for my boss and for the WNBA folks, you know, just so they kind of knew what my schedule is and what I'm doing. And I think I had worked 29 games. I've done nine features and I've got over 2 million social media views um, for content. So I was, you know, trying to put some context into how I'm being productive here. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I felt like I was being that productive, but I guess that's pretty productive working 29 games in the last three weeks. That's that's pretty good. 
That's incredible. Oh, there's no doubt you're being productive. When you were approached to be a part of this bubble setup and to actually go, to actually be there, what was that like for you? Was that a a snap decision like, yes, absolutely, I'm there? Or did you have to take a step back and think about it just based on the fact that you're going to be there for, you know, whatever it's going to be? three months, can't leave, all those sort of factors. What was your thought process as you accepted this assignment? I love that you think I had a thought process. Bless your heart. I, Of course, I did not have a thought process. I, if you know me, I was like, as soon as we knew this was happening, I was emailing my boss or calling my boss and saying, I'll go. Uh, let me go. Please let me go. So it was more like I volunteered and, and really begged to come. Um, it was really hard for me for five months with no sports. I'm going to tell you, my life revolves around sports, as I'm sure yours does and a lot of us. And it was really hard sitting home. And, you know, the weekend that should have been the women's final four, I was just in the dumps. And the weekend that should have been the women's college world series for softball or the weekend that should have been the national championship for gymnastics, all of the sports that I cover, um, the, I was in the dumps. And so if I knew there was going to be sports and that I could be there and be a part of it, I, I volunteered. And, um, and so that's how that went. And I really didn't give it any thought. I just really thought if there's going to be a WMB season, I'm going to be there. And um, my boss luckily really had to negotiate with the WMBA folks and make sure that they were okay with me being here. Um, there's limited housing. And so that was one of the challenges I think you're seeing you know, some of the differences with the NBA bubble and the WNBA bubble is there are much more hotels. I think there's, you know, three or four hotels between players and staff and media and all that for the NBA bubble. And there's one hotel and then some lodges, which are kind of like apartments and villas um, for the WNBA players. So the housing was limited. So I think that the players, everybody had to get here. They had to get all the housing settled and then see if they had any spare rooms for extra people. So I'm really lucky that I got to be here. Is that one of the big reasons that players are getting passed around right now a little bit? Um, You know, especially those at the end of a roster, I think about uh, Erica McCall, who's, you know, great to see her, uh, you know, catching on with the links now and and playing a significant role with them and things like that. But, you know, when you've got the the limited rooms, like you're saying, and and the limited lodging, it's it's tough to bring players in and out from, from outside the bubble. Yeah, I think that the the reason you're seeing that group of players kind of go from team to team is more the safety protocol. So you have to quarantine for seven days to get to be able to be here in the bubble. So you go four days at an offsite hotel. I was at a hotel in Bradenton, Florida for four days. And when I say you cannot leave your room, I did not step foot outside of my room for four days. And that is very challenging mentally and physically. And then if you pass all of the COVID screening, then you come to a hotel room on the IMG property at the Legacy Hotel for an additional three days. So you can't just cut someone from your roster and pick somebody else up. That's like a, you know, at least a 10 day process to get them cleared, get them physicals, then slide them to Bradenton and have them quarantined for seven days. So what teams are doing is, If there's a player in the bubble that's been quarantined and been tested and passed all the negative COVID tests and they get cut, another team is really looking at picking them up because 
they don't have to quarantine again. And so I'll give you one great example. The Chicago Sky had a little uh, rookie, Stella Johnson, and she has just been absolutely precious. You see her in the lobby and she, she barely dares say hi to you. She's she's new, she's fresh, and um, they, they had her on their roster for three weeks, and then they just have enough people, they have enough guards. So they ended up cutting her when Sydney Colson got here. And um, Washington picked her up, and last night she got her first career start in the WNBA, and she poured in 25 points. And and so it's just been this crazy story of a player who hadn't really gotten any playing time for Chicago, brand new to the league. Not a lot of people really knew what she could do. But, of course, Mike Tebow and his infinite wisdom picks her up and starts her, and, and she just goes crazy. So uh, it's been very interesting. But I think we've seen um, maybe five players so far do that, where they started the season with one team here, and now they're on another team. And that's what's going to make the documentary or the 30 for 30 about this uh, situation, whether it be the WNBA and, uh, you know, I'm sure the NBA, uh, I'm sure they're working on one as well. It's going to make this so unique because this is just there are so many stories to tell. Um, There are so many unique things uh, about this for sure. And it's not even um, halfway done when you factor in the playoffs as well. Who knows uh, what's coming (laughs) around the corner here? (laughs) What's the mood uh, right now? I know you mentioned the Groundhog Day thing. Do you feel like at a certain point, especially when you're doing the same thing every day or every other day, that you get the sense people are just kind of waiting for the playoffs or do you get the sense that it's starting to ramp up? It's getting a little bit more um, tense now with, with teams knowing what they're fighting for. What's the mood right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that about a week ago, the mood was people were starting to hit the wall of being contained. I just felt like people were anxious and people were like, okay, we are, first of all, exhausted. There's games going every other day. You know, if they're not at the game, then they're practicing or they're shooting around or they're doing tape or treatment. And I think people were getting a little overwhelmed, but the WNBA has set up some excursion days. So teams were able to go to the beach. Teams were able to go um, deep sea fishing. They were able to go on a catamaran ride. And then last, uh, let's see, what day was that? Monday, there was a day off of games for every team. And so Sunday night, it was like this great um, just exhalation. Like everyone was just like, ah, and we saw teams having um, a movie night. Some people had a big screen, you know, those big screens that you can set up outside now where they have a movie night. Uh, The Seattle Storm had a cornhole tournament and Mexican, you know, cookout. Um, Every team did something a little bit different, but it was kind of the first time I felt everybody collectively just kind of like, okay, we've got a day off tomorrow. Everybody catch their breath and have fun. And um, it it was really fun to be around the hotel that night. I had a a monster phase 10 game with a bunch of players um, that went on for hours and, and we had a great time, but it was, it was really good mentally because I think people were getting exhausted with games every other day. And, you know, it it is a little stressful because you can't leave, even though um, th- there's a lot of space here. Like everyone has a bike. You can ride, uh, oh, I don't know, about maybe a half a mile to a mile over to the practice gyms and the workout facilities. And you can ride your bike around the campus. You, you don't leave. And so I think that's what was wearing on people. Oh, no doubt. For you to be able to get a sense of that as well. I mean, if you weren't there, I, it, how much more difficult do you think it would be 
to tell these stories, you know, even if you were doing features or whatever from a remote location? There's just something about being, you know, face to face with people. I'm sure that you and a lot of the other media are, are experiencing this. So they have these Zoom calls and they have, you know, practice availability. And after practice, they, the players walk into this room and look into a camera and do these Zoom interviews. But it's very impersonal because the player is just looking at this blank camera. All the media is on the Zoom on the other, you know, like in their own personal connection. But the player can't see you and can't, you know, like they might remember they're talking to you and remember your face. But it's just like them staring into a blank camera, really. And so I feel like when I get to sit down with players, we're having this face-to-face conversation, and it's just different. You know, we we just get to communicate different and smile and laugh and, and talk, and it's just so much more natural. So that's, that's really huge to be able to be here and be in person and then be in person for the interviews during games. You know, there's just stuff going on during the game that you just – you would miss if you weren't there, you know? Uh, it, it's just – I don't exactly know how to describe it, but it's just this bonding experience. Like everyone that's here is like, Ooh, okay, here we are another day. And we're all kind of in this together. And, and, and so it's very bonding. You feel like you're all in this one survival movie and doing the best you can. And it's understandable why, you know, we've got to do what we've got to do from the play by play and analyst perspective and, and see, you know, the broadcast crews, they've got to do so remotely. You, you know, you've got to uh, do the best you can to, to create that separation. But is that kind of your uh, argument for once the pandemic is more under control, vaccines, et cetera, et cetera, why it's still best to be on site if, at all possible because there's just this different feeling that you get and and different ability to be able to bring the game to the viewer if you can actually be there like you are. Well, it's 100% true. I mean, it's as simple as you've watched a great game on TV or you've been at a great game. And those are two very different experiences because there's an energy in the building. You can feel the momentum changing you know, there's so much you can't see on the TV that's going on in the gym and on the benches and in the game that, you know, when you're there in person, your eyes can roam wherever you want them to instead of being beholden to where the camera's taking you. And I just think that in person is the way to, to feel and experience the flow and the moments in the game. And, and also, I, I also feel like in person is very different. Like everyone will always say, hey, which team do you think is better, this team or this team? And if I haven't seen them in person, I don't like to say that distinction because I think until you see the speed in person or how high a person's really jumping or how strong a person really is, you know, until you see Diana Tarazi fake somebody out and then pull back and shoot a silky shot over the top, you know, if you're sitting at home, you might not appreciate that. And when you're sitting at the court side, you might realize, the speed and efficiency and beauty of how that looks. Um, so I, I definitely think in person is better and I'm, I'm grateful. I get to be, you know, one person in America that gets to be here watching these games. I feel, I feel guilty in some respects that I'm getting to do it and other people are not, uh, but I'm grateful that I am. Well, don't feel guilty. You're the right choice. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And, and like you said, you, you jumped at it. You know, that's was going to be one of my uh, my questions, especially considering, you know, a lot of your ESPN cohorts for years and years have been part of 
college football coverage. And, you know, that's very much in the balance right now. We certainly hope there's, you know, health enough for a college football season. But who knows if they're going to be able to to go out and do that. And and after the bubble ends, you know, for you, are you going to be able to go back out and cover college football games? Where will there be college football games? Just in the sense that you get to work. And, and you get to, to do your job and do your passion. How does this stack up versus the other assignments that you've been given in your career? And there have been some great ones over the years. Yeah, that's a great question. And any day that I even feel remotely, you know, cooped up or I, I was really tired a couple of days ago because I think I had done eight straight days of double header games with no break and I was exhausted. And I, instead of feeling like, you know, I, I, I wish I wasn't here. I need a day off. I just felt like, okay, this is exactly what I signed up for. And and I'm going to fight through it because if not, I'd be sitting at home on my couch wishing I was here. Right. And so I, you know, I am very grateful to be back to work, to be back to doing what I'm very passionate about um, because I am still very nervous about college football. I, I'm very nervous about college basketball. I really feel like our lives as we know them and how we've covered sports as, as our livelihood for, you know, I've been in this business 25 years. I don't know about you, John, but I don't see our life going back to normal for a while. And so that I can be here in this environment and have some sense, listen, it's not normal. I'm looking around my hotel room right now thinking I've been in this room for 30 days. Like think about living in a hotel room for 30 days. Um, but that's not normal, but I get to go to games and work and do stories and do interviews. So I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take every second and appreciate it. My goodness. I know that's uh, it, it really is something that's tough to get your mind around. It, it's good to know it, it's temporary, though, as well. And I, I'm sure you've gotten this question as well, just especially with several WNBA players opting out because of high risk conditions with your cancer history. Obviously, you just said, hey, I jumped at the jumped at the chance. You know, I didn't think twice about it. Was there any semblance of after the fact, um, you know, thinking about it or now that you're there with so little issues with COVID so far, do you feel like you're in an even safer place than you might be if you were at home? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, one, you know, I think I'm an idiot and I just jumped at the chance and wanted to work. So I didn't feel scared for myself. And then I got here and thought, oh, I wonder if I should have felt scared for myself. Um, I I personally feel like I've already had COVID in January. Um, I got really sick in January. And, uh, you know, I went to the doctor and tested and it was negative for the flu and they just didn't know what it was, but I was deathly sick. And, you know, as I look back on that now, flying in and out of New York every week, four or five times a week, you know, I'm like, oh, I think that was probably COVID in January that I was so ill. So one, I had a little sense of peace of like, okay, if I've already had it, I I know how severe it was for me and and I was able to get through it. Um, I think the other thing was I checked with my oncologist, you know, I had a long conversation um, with them about, you know, do you think there's any additional risks? And they said, we just don't know. You know, there's so much that's unknown with COVID and how cancer patients react to that. We just don't know. But with the numbers spiking everywhere in the United States, you're exactly right. Is I thought, well, I think this might be the safest place I am is I'm getting tested daily. Everyone around me is getting tested daily, but more importantly, every single person around me is following the protocol. 
Like, I don't know about you, but I, I'm sure there's places you go out in the world where people aren't wearing masks. And, um, you know, I am in a place where every single safety protocol is being followed. And that's a very peaceful feeling because that's not what's happening out in the rest of the world. That's a great point. And if you're not wearing your mask, um, Amaya, Dierica Hamby's daughter, is going to get on to you. I understand. I don't know. Yes. I, that's what that's what I hear is that she's she's very big into mask wearing and mask shaming. And she's not she's not scared to do it. <laughs> yeah, she has been. I'm, I have to say that is one thing I don't think people appreciate or understand enough is so. We're in this bizarre situation. Everybody's here without their family for the most part. But we have a group of about five or six kids that are here. Um, Tiana Hawkins, her little boy, E, or Emmanuel is his name, but he said, I have to call him E. Um, he's here. Bria Hartley's son, Bryson. Derek Hamby's daughter. Uh, Rebecca Brunson's little boy is here. Graham. Um, Skylar Diggins' little boy is here. There's a, there's a, oh, Cheryl Reeves' little boy, Ollie, just got here. So I would tell you this, the children are keeping us sane. We go play at the pool. You know, I think I played sharks and minnows in the pool for hours um, with Ollie. The kids are keeping us sane because it's like we can play, we can have fun, we can be childlike. And we feel a little bit like we're just hanging out with our family. So I, you know, even players on other teams will come out and say, oh, good, Bryson's at the pool. Because they enjoy the kids, you know, and so I it, it's been this weird little side effect of being in the bubble. But the children are giving us life and making us so, so, so happy. You know, that just hits me right in here because, you know, my my three little girls, I can't imagine, you know, being a parent and being away from them in a place where I know that I can't leave for that long. You know, and I know not every kid can be there, but but thankfully, especially some at that very impressionable age where it's so important to be with your parents, um, thankfully they can be there. I mean, that's just, that is just big time. And that's, you know, and credit to the, to the WNBA for uh, allowing that to, to be a possibility as well, because I had imagined that for a lot of those players, it would, it would be a deal breaker if, if they couldn't have their kid there. Right. Absolutely. And the WNBA, we've got to give them a ton of credit because, they were really smart. You know, you, you're just seeing now for the playoffs that the NBA is going to allow friends and family to come. Well, the WNBA allowed that from the beginning. So if you were a player with five years of service or more, you could bring a partner. And um, for everybody, that's been a little different. For Dierica Hamby, she brought her mom so that she would have someone to take care of her daughter, um, Amaya, when she's pre practicing and playing. And for other people, it's a spouse or a partner. You know, Sue Bird brought her girlfriend, Megan Rapino. So everybody with five years of service that wanted to, uh, Candace Parker brought her little girl, Layla, uh, for a while. Layla went home and is with her dad for a, a short period, but I know she's coming back here. Players feel supported. They feel like they've got a loved one here. You know, at the games, there's a handful of people or fans there that you can look over. Brittany Griner looks over and and sees her wife and her wife is encouraging her and cheering her on. And I tell you what, I think it's been huge for people's mental health to have someone here supporting them. I just think it's been huge. Mm, that is awesome. Well, uh, final uh, subject, and then uh, we'll let you get back to, to your Groundhog Day today on this Thursday, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just from a broadcast execution perspective, uh, you know, the ESPN slash ABC broadcast, I mean, they've certainly been, you guys have done a great job, and I'm not just 
trying to blow smoke anywhere here. I mean, it has been, you know, outstanding considering what you're undertaking. But give us a sense from your perspective, your role in that, besides just being a sideline reporter and an observer, do you ever have to communicate anything um, to people back at ESPN, back in Bristol or wherever they're originating that, that broadcast? Do you help keep it together, so to speak, because you're on site? Yeah, I think that, um, for example, Ryan Rucco, our play-by-play guy, Rebecca Lobo, our analyst, and myself, I mean, we're communicating more than ever. We just had a call yesterday evening to go over how our game ended um, the night before, you know, an exciting Las Vegas, Chicago game. And we went through and critiqued how we covered the end of the game, what we could have done better, what shots we were showing, like how can we improve our broadcast? And I think that that's been really important because they're not here and they feel a little disconnected in some ways. And so I want to make sure we are all on the same page, first of all. And then secondly, I think it's important because, you know, like usually you would go to shoot arounds, you would just be around a team a lot more in person. And so, you know, like I got to the arena the other night and we had already talked to James Wade, the Chicago sky coach. We had already gotten ready for the game. And I, I get to the arena and I walk onto the court and I see that Cheyenne Parker has a boot on her foot. And no one told us, no, it wasn't on the injury report. And so I'm able to quickly, you know, tell the people back in Bristol, hey, I don't think she's going to play tonight. And we had her, you know, built in the starting lineup and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, just eyes and ears are very important. But I think it's also very important that I can help connect, you know, for example, Ryan and Rebecca or LaChina, um, connect them with what's happening here so that they they don't feel left out or they don't feel disconnected and make sure we're saying, hey, um, you know, we we were going to do an interview the other night with somebody in the game. And we thought, hey, I think it's going to be better if China does that interview at halftime. Uh, so that that person, it was Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, that is part of the Say Her Name movement. Like, let's let's put that interview at halftime, not in the game where you have to talk over action. Let's put that interview at halftime so China is able to really showcase her great work and really dig into that with her. And, you know, we're all having these kinds of conversations to make sure what we're doing, when we're doing it and how we're doing it are very well thought out and very team oriented. Yeah, I thought that interview came off incredibly well and it just was in, wonderful. China trying to do a great job. And just in general, you guys have done a tremendous job with Say Her Name as well. Uh, what has been the most challenging part of that for you as a reporter, just is it the research that you need to do to make sure that you are as well versed in these stories as, as you need to be to communicate them? Is there an emotion there that you need to tap into? What's the most challenging part of trying to accurately portray uh, what the players are playing for this year and say her name? I think it's been a great responsibility because you are responsible to document what's happening and there's so much happening. And so, you know, like I have to stay on top of, you know, what are they wearing when they get off the bus? What are they, what is their focus for this game? What is their, their desire to be communicated to the world? So I feel a great responsibility to make sure that the the work that they're doing and the, um, the social justice 
you know, attention that they're bringing to different topics, that is a great sense of responsibility that I am sharing that accurately with the world. But there's an element to it, too, of um, it's hard not to get emotional about some of this because I'll give you one example. Um, I went to a seminar that they did. The WNBA put together a Zoom call with the sister of Sandra Bland. And Sandra Bland was a woman who was uh, pulled over and arrested unnecessarily and then found dead in her cell three days later. And the police were trying to say that it was a suicide. And, you know, as you learn more and more and more about it, you realize this probably wasn't a suicide, that it's a cover up. And they had a long, you know, like an hour long question and answer with her sister. And I, I just was weeping during some of it. You know, I went to document the meeting and document it and do a story about it. And I found myself in the back of the room just crying because I could see, you know, as the players were watching this documentary about Sandra Bland and how she died, I could see some of them cringe and see some of the players cry and um, see their body language as they as they saw this abuse on the screen unfold. And I just thought, I don't think we appreciate the pain and shared experience and shared trauma that black women are going through in this country. And I just felt very, I don't know, anxious and um, upset for those women that they had to watch that, that they had to watch that and that they had to, um, that they have to be scared in our country. I think it's very upsetting. And so I think that's been a real challenge of this job is, you know, it's hard to not be emotional about it and see what these women are going through. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think you put it so well, but then, you know, I, I feel, gosh, uh, with black people in general, black women, black men, I feel so unqualified, I think is, is, is the word, you know, to communicate that. And, and so it's, it's important that we ask questions and that, you know, you dive in, like you say, and you let yourself feel as deeply as you can, um, you know, those moments. So, Wow. That, that is um, that is just tremendous. Thank you so much for communicating that. I really appreciate it, Holly. Yeah, I think that empathy is our greatest asset right now because we, we are not living this experience that they are. And I think everyone wants to have an opinion about everything, but we're not living it. And so I, you know, I just want to to learn and listen and be there and support, but also realize that this experience they're having is real and and honor the feelings and experiences that they are having because um, it, we, we just can't imagine it. Absolutely cannot. Well, Holly, thank you so much for your time today. We covered so much and we <laughs> did it lot. in yes. such a relatively limited amount of time. I feel like we got a lot out of this and I know I did. I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for your time and wish you the very very best as uh, you complete your assignment there in Bradenton. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. That's Holly Rowe here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Man, and like we said, we covered some ground. It was uh, amazing to be able to talk to her. And even before she had this experience, she was one of the top people that we wanted to have on the podcast at some point to tell stories about other women's basketball experiences she's had. But she's got a lifetime worth of stories to tell just from her experience in Bradenton, which uh, makes her a perfect guest. So thanks so much for being on, Holly. It means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to you, the listener. If it meant a lot to you, tell somebody else about the podcast, pass it on to them, 
And please rate and review the podcast as well. Of course, that helps other people find us within this space. As always, you can reach out to us whenever you want to, and email is a great way to do that, podcast at herhoopstats.com, podcast at herhoopstats.com. If you're not following us on Twitter, what are you doing? At herhoopstats, we are incredibly active on there, talking about every game, giving you insights, and of course, the website is always a wonderful place to go for all our articles, and then stats as well. The executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Barzalai. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com, and the announcer is Susie Solis. I'm your host, John Little, reminding you that at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.